uh, Sarah Broom, she of the very beautiful red lipstick, um, is a former editor uh, from O Magazine and a very sort of active um, person who published in 2008 a, an incredible essay called The Yellow House in the Oxford American. Um, this piece, which is about her growing up um, in New Orleans, uh, she's a native of New Orleans, um, is being, uh, I wouldn't say expanded, but I think reconsidered in a book-length study um, that Sarah is working on. Um, and she needs to take her time and, and feel good about it, and she will, and she does, and it will be a brilliant exploration um, into history, autobiography, and a family's life in the city. And Sharifa Rhodes Pitts, she of the charming red frock, is in the um, is a wonderful writer whose first book, Harlem is Nowhere, um, came out. Was it last year, Sharifa? January. January. Um, it is a very sort of beautiful meditation on place and race and history and gender and um, basically it is an incredible geography of lives and Sharifa's life. So I want you to welcome these extraordinary young people who will teach us something not only about where they come from but ourselves. Thank you. I'm going to read sitting down. It's like more like story time that way. <laughs> um, so Harlem is Nowhere is a book that has a lot of different sounds in it and sort of voices. And sometimes it can be really historical. And sometimes it's very political and polemical. And, um, and sometimes it's just like this um, bombard, the experience of being bombarded with things in the street. And this is a chapter called Messages. And it's more to do with that, that kind of... Um, experience of, of the street. Messages. I greet my neighbors in the street. I come from a place where you speak to people when they cross your path, stranger or friend. I had to learn the particular greeting common to this place, as I have done in other places. On the streets of the Faubourg Treme in New Orleans, there is a luscious formality. One says, good morning and good afternoon and good evening. Your salutation is a sundial that tells the time of day. Walking country footpaths in England, I learned to proclaim, all right, cheerfully, authoritatively even. It is at once a query and a declaration, but there's never enough of a pause to discover if things are, in fact, all right. Here, I learned a greeting more familiar, almost intimate. You say, how you feel, or how you feeling? The question seeks out the inner state. Said in a certain languorous tone, it leads one to pause on the sidewalk exchanging minor confidences. It is not a question from which you can rush away. There are other manners of speaking that are not so easy to adopt. For instance, when a person refers to the street toward which they are walking, or the street where they have just been, or a place where a third party can be found. Should any of those streets be located above 110th Street, in Harlem, it is customary to make a graceful abbreviation. 133rd Street would be called 33rd, 125th Street, 25th, and so on. This manner is not easy to mimic. A stranger should not try to emulate it. But a stranger to this place can take comfort in knowing that even the locals were once strangers too. 
where is your home, I have often asked, or where are your people from? The answer will be someplace in Alabama or Georgia, the Carolinas or Mississippi. From asking such questions, I have come to learn the names of small towns throughout the South that I have never had cause to know about or think of. Scotland Neck, North, Car North Carolina, Denmark, South Carolina, Yazoo City, Mississippi. At first, I hoped that being from a place not so far away, I'd be met with slightly less suspicion. In the course of such conversations, my tongue slides across the meridian toward those places we call home. The rhythm of speech is a password. Shared laughter sweeps you across the threshold. Crucial facts of my existence raise eyebrows and alarms. You're up here all by yourself, or you're not married yet, or you don't have any children, and you don't belong to a church. The questions I ask, where is your home? Where are your people from? Search out origins. The ones people ask me seek to establish my position in the present order. My answers reveal that I am decidedly adrift. A stranger stops to ask if I require directions. I have lingered too long before stepping into an intersection, or I look uncertain as to where I am headed. The reason is this. I am looking up at a building or down the avenue or scrutinizing a sign that refers to some place no longer there. I shake my head no, insisting I am not lost or even very far from home. I offer thanks for their kindness, then resume staring or hurry along in imitation of someone with a purpose. Often enough, my attention is carried off by something I have not sought. Walking west on 125th Street, approaching 7th Avenue, I hear garbled sounds carried by a bullhorn and wonder if there's a rally at African Square. I arrive to find an evangelist occupying the median in the shadow of the Hotel Teresa and calling out in Spanish, Jesus viene. Further up the avenue, I notice that the address of the headquarters for the 5% nation of gods and earths known as Mecca in Harlem is 2122 7th Avenue. The address bears auspicious numerology. When added up, the building's number equals seven the street name is seven, and according to the 5% philosophy of the supreme mathematics, the number seven represents Allah. Perhaps it is just a providential sign confirming the supremacy of the poor righteous teachers, that 5% who know. I saw a street vendor squatting close to the ground beneath a red, black, and green flag on 125th Street. I thought he'd be hawking revolutionary tracks, but he was selling packs of batteries. That's enough. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit from um, this short piece called Letting Her Go. And uh, Sharifa told me actually that in this piece were, if I could open, explore the riddles laid out in this piece, I would open wide the gates of the city. So I've been working on that for a very long time. So this is Letting Her Go. And this is I wrote this shortly after I, I went to New Orleans and worked as a speechwriter for Mayor Ray Nagin, and then left uh, very happily about nine months later. So I wrote this piece very shortly after. Um, okay. I am again leaving New Orleans, the city that has for nearly all my life been my excuse and explanation for most everything I've done. 
especially those things crooked and backwards. This is the city of my mother, Ivory May Soule, and of her mother and of everyone before then, as far back as I know. The first time I left, I was 17 years old, and I did so with the half-hearted notion that the city of New Orleans consisted of the French Quarter as its nucleus, and then all else. All else would have included me and my 11 siblings who lived in New Orleans East, off Sheffmenter Highway, where every day speeding cars flew out of town. It was on the same highway that one of those fast-going cars dragged my older sister Karen by the tail of her shirt for several feet before noticing it. All I really mean to say here is that when I was 17 and leaving New Orleans, I had the mind of a tourist, or I was a tourist in my own city. The times I visited the French Quarter during my growing up years were purposeful and specific. I went there either to drop off my chef brother Michael at Cape Hall's Louisiana Kitchen on Charter Street, or it was to get myself to my barista job at Community Coffee on Royal. On special occasions, though I cannot now recall what those might have been, members of the Broom Clan would go into town, as my mother calls the quarter and its surrounding areas to eat beignets or shop the flea market at the end of Decatur. Never once during my growing up years did I lay my head down for sleep anywhere in the vicinity of those quarters, and that included uptown, downtown, or back of town. I do not say this out of regret or longing. I'm only describing what the universe looked like to me back then. When I returned to the city with the intention of living here for a long while, it was January 2008, and I was staying at, in Le Pavillon on Poitras Street. I was interviewing for a speechwriting job in the mayor's office a few blocks down the street. Le Pavillon is a white, majestic building with archangels the size of ancient pillars out front. One night during my stay at Le Pavillon, which was built in 1907, whose website describes it as a kind of place where guests can instantly conjure up days of genteel luxury, romantic evenings, and glittering nights. Someone shot off four gunshots outside my door while I sat in bed watching HBO. For a moment, I sat confused about where I was. I had just returned from war-torn Burundi, where civil war was always on the horizon, but I was no longer there. No, this was the fifth floor of a luxury hotel in New Orleans. I dropped down to the floor where I tried to squeeze myself underneath the mattress. I stayed there and peered through the crack underneath the door as the sound of chaos broke out. First someone was cursing, and then as time wore on, the sound was of police officers on walkie-talkies. When I opened the door, many minutes later, a man and his daughter were sprinting toward the exit doors, a green plastic suitcase in hand. In the morning, I noticed the glass next to the elevators was shattered, but other than that, there was no sign of violence. There was also no mention of what happened in the newspaper or on the TV. When I mentioned the shootout on the fifth floor to the manager the next morning, she tried shushing me and then offered me a continental breakfast on the house, which I declined. I took the job and moved into a pink camelback shotgun house near Oak Street Uptown. This street represents many of the city's contradictions. On Oak Street, there is the fanciest snowball stand I have ever seen, which accepts credit cards with a minimum $5 purchase. Next door to that is a dusty shoe repair shop whose owner is in town two weeks on, two weeks off. 
He travels back and forth to Texas where his displaced family lives. To either side of my camelback shotgun are dilapidated houses that have not been fixed since the storm, but where people still live. Across the street from me are three generations living in a three-bedroom house. Between those generations, there are five or six children with another on the way. At night in this neighborhood, it is difficult to find parking when you return home from wherever you have been because of everyone who has come here to have dinner at Giacomo's, where they serve alligator and andouille sausage cheesecake as an appetizer. It occurs to me, as someone who loves New Orleans but has left it and returned to it, as I have after many, many years in continents, that this conundrum of belonging to a place you do not actually feel belongs to you will be my burden for a very long time. And how awful and terrible to realize, finally, just as you're leaving to return to another life in New York City, that your main excuse for who you were and why you were has for so long been a phantom of an idea that you never knew or understood.